little break from recording some podcast material, but we're going to start getting back into that. And I wanted to start off this year's first episode talking about something that we talk about often with our patients, with um, other providers that we collaborate with as well. And that's uh, our approach to care and that integrative approach. And, and really, the more I've thought about it over the years, really what, what we do here at R3 Physio would be considered a systems-based approach. And so I wanna talk about what is a systems-based approach? Why is that important? And what does that look like for us as PTs? So first off, let's define what does it mean? What is a systems-based approach? So our body, we talk about this often, how the different parts of our body, the different regions, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, ankle, these are all connected to each other and one thing affects the other. But at a deeper level, we also have multiple systems in our body, cardiovascular system, immune system, nervous system, and those systems all work together and one system having an inefficiency or an issue can affect and trickle down to cause an issue in another system or to manifest in physical ways like we often talk about. And so you see systems-based approach in integrative medicine practitioners. There's there's some that are uh, more systems-based there in the functional medicine world, in the integrative medicine world. The same is true within PT is that we can have a a systems-based approach or a lens that we view uh, patients through. And so the reason that's important is because we do individualized care and we should be doing individualized care. And in order to treat the individual, we have to consider not just what brought them in, what's their pain point, what's their their biggest complaint, but we need to start asking the question, why is that the issue? What led up to that issue? And while there are times it may be more straightforward, a lot of the times you can trace it back to, well, there was this old injury or, well, there was this illness. And then it seemed like things came on after that illness, or, uh, you know, I started having these symptoms with digestion and then all of a sudden my back started hurting. And the dots don't always get connected, but oftentimes when you start looking at the anatomy and the physiology, oftentimes those dots can be connected. And so that's what I want to do is I want to talk through what that looks like in the PT world. Uh, And then we'll talk through just maybe a couple of examples of why or how that, what that would look like. And so as PTs, let me start off by saying this, as PTs, we address movement, we address function. And our goal is to improve that movement, improve that function, decrease the pain. And so, you know, when I talk about some of these other things in in the systems, understand that as a PT, we may not necessarily be treating for those specific symptoms. And we're not treating medical issues in those symptoms. But what we know is, is that when a structure does not move well, it will not function at its most efficient. And all of these structures that we'll talk about have a type of tissue called fascia that surrounds them. And if you want to know more about fascia, the last episode we did got into 
fascia, talked a little bit about what fascia is, but really got into how fascia and the immune system are connected and uh, how fascia and the endocannabinoid system are affected. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. But um, we, we deal with the fascial components of some of these structures. So when we get into talking about mobilizing and getting organs moving, we're really talking about remobilizing those fascial components. It's surrounded by fascia. That fascia creates ligaments. Those ligaments attach them to other structures. And we're trying to get the movement between those structures moving better. When that happens, those, those structures can function more efficiently. And so oftentimes we see changes in other systems of the body that maybe we weren't directly treating for, but they do happen. And we should be aware of those. And in our practice, a lot of times we will choose treatments knowing, hey, this will have an effect on that, that joint tightness or that muscle tightness. But I also know that's going to affect this system and that's going to benefit this patient. So I might choose that treatment because it has multiple effects versus choosing one specific treatment. And in reality, you can't disconnect these systems anyway. Even if your intention is not to treat that joint tightness because you want to affect the nervous system or the brain or lymphatic, in reality, that's still going to happen. But when we can be aware of that and we can have the intention to make those changes, we tend to see better results. And so... People typically come into PT for things like pain, stiffness, weakness. What if there was more to it? And that's the question we ask a lot of times is what if there's more to this pain that we need to understand so that way we can better help you to get rid of this pain and then to end up feeling better than you have felt to help you get back to health um, and then, and then to get back to those activities that you want at maybe even, even in a higher level in order to do that, in order to work towards that kind of efficiency, we need to understand the big picture. And so with, with that understanding and with that lens, we have the potential to affect so much more. So where do we start? Like I said earlier, we start with asking why, and we ask what? Why did this injury happen? Why did it happen now? Why didn't it happen the other times, the other hundreds of times that you did that same activity? Why didn't it happen then? Why did it happen now? What changed? You know, was there a little tweak? Was there a little injury, minor injury that maybe your body recovered from pain-wise, but maybe there's a movement issue still? And then that movement issue with the repetition of that activity. Let's take, let's take uh, running, for example because that's a good one to get repetition. Let's say you had a minor ankle sprain, very minor, day or two, and you felt better. Did that little ankle sprain leave you with a different movement pattern? Maybe you shift your weight differently. Did it, did it leave you with a little bit of tightness at the ankle to where maybe you move differently, or maybe your body distributes the forces differently? And day to day, maybe that's not an issue. But when you start adding in the repetition, the repetition, the repetition, and the impact in that case of running, or if it were dancing, or if it were uh, soccer, whatever your your activity or your sport or your, your life involves, when you add in that repetition, minor things can get amplified. And, and over time, they can show up in other areas. Uh, so 
for example, if we go back to the running and that ankle issues and is causing us not to be able to shift our weight over that foot as well, or distribute the force as well, then likely you're going to have more stress or strain at the knee or maybe at the back. And then we see down the road, you have back pain. Well, if we don't understand that that progression happened, then we're just looking at the back pain in isolation and we don't have the big picture. And sure, we could probably help the low back pain, but did we really help solve that problem? And so we have to ask those kinds of questions, but then we go even deeper with a systems-based approach. Then we start asking things like, is this tightness, did it affect tightness along the nerves? And now is there a nervous system component? Um, is there a an issue with how your body's able to move fluid? So the circulatory system and the lymphatic system, are those systems involved? And is that causing a congestion that's leading to the pain at this point? And so then we have a whole nother level we have to consider and a whole nother aspect of treatment that we have to consider to help, help get a person back to the best that they can be. So when somebody comes in, the first question we ask is, is it purely musculoskeletal? Musculoskeletal being, is it muscle, joint, ligament, tendon? Is it, is it related to a tightness along those? Sometimes maybe. Likely if we started tracing the history, there's more to it. But if it's not purely musculoskeletal, are there other factors? Are there other injuries? Are there other systems? And so let's talk about what some of those systems are, and then we'll connect some dots. And so with our treatments, these are some of the systems that we know can be affected. Do we treat all of these systems directly? Not always, but we know when we do some treatments, whether it's the visceral manipulation, whether it's some of the manual therapy, whether it's some of the facilitation techniques, whether it's some of the exercises and movements we use, we know that we have an effect on these systems the musculoskeletal system, the nervous system, and not just the nervous system as far as how the nerves move, but we also can affect what's called the autonomic nervous system. And so the autonomic nervous system involves two main parts, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is the fight or flight that we often think about, fight, flight, or freeze, I've even heard it say. The parasympathetic is the rest, digest, relax, um, there needs to be a balance between those. Most of the time we live in the sympathetic, that fight or flight that causes an increase in heart rate that causes an increase in blood pressure that causes a constriction of vessels that bring blood flow. And so there's a, there's a time for that, right? There's a purpose for that system. But then the way that our body's designed is that the parasympathetic should come back into balance and help bring the heart rate down, bring the blood pressure down, dilate those vessels to bring back blood flow to the areas that need it. When that doesn't happen, that can lead to other issues. So a lot of times our, our treatments may be to try to affect that balance in those two components of the nervous system, the circulatory system. Sometimes this is through the nervous system that we're affecting blood flow to an area. Sometimes it's because we're using movement to bring blood flow to an area. Sometimes it's because maybe a structure is tight that an artery or a vein passes through. The, the, one of the best um, examples I can give is the front of the hip. The crease of the hip, there's a ligament called the inguinal ligament. Underneath the inguinal ligament, 
we have a few major structures. You have a major nerve called the femoral nerve. You have a major artery called the femoral artery, and you have a major vein called the femoral vein. And then you have lymphatic tissue. So there's a lot in that area. We sit all day for most of us. And so if, if you think about those, those vessels like a hose, if you're constantly kinking the hose, then that's going to restrict fluid flow, blood flow, lymphatic flow. Now, if you add tightness to that area, which a lot of people have pelvic tightness, tightness through the front of the hip, a pinching through the pain or front of the hip. Now, do we have an issue with fluid being able to flow efficiently through there and return blood flow towards the heart, referring lymph, lymph to the lymph nodes? When that happens, we might see a backup and see swelling in the legs. And so, you know, sometimes we're seeing a change in the circulatory system because we loosen up some of those musculoskeletal structures that they pass through or pass underneath the lymphatic system. And I'll include the glymphatic system. So the lymphatic systems, our bodies, one of our body systems to eliminate waste. So lymph nodes, lymph vessels, um, but the glymphatic system is the brain's way, one of the brain's way of um, getting rid of waste. And so there's a lot of times treatments that we will choose that will help stimulate lymphatic flow. But if the lymph doesn't have a good place to go into drain, because those structures are restricted or tight, then you may not have good lymph flow or good drainage through the drainage funnels. Um, so things like the small intestines, that is a huge lymphatic drainage area. Um, the thoracic inlet outlet area right at the base of the neck, that's a huge drainage area. So those are areas that tend to be tight. And if they're tight and lymph's trying to drain through that area, but it can't effectively get there, you may see a sluggish lymphatic system or be told that you have a sluggish lymphatic system. You may be told um, that, you know, some of the brain fog that you have is because that your, your brain's not able to get rid of that waste of the lymphatic system and, and the neck's not able to drain that lymph through into the lymphatic system. So it could be brain fogs related to musculoskeletal restrictions, um, the endocrine system. So our hormones, a lot of the structures we work through in the gut with this real manipulation affect the endocrine system. For example, serotonin is produced largely in the gut. It would, it would serve to, to reason that if the small intestines is restricted and it doesn't function as efficiently, it's probably not producing the serotonin as much as it should. The ovaries, big hormone producers. I've had numbers of patients over the past where when the ovaries are restricted and you go to free them up, then you see things like uh, menstrual cycles change. You see sometimes headaches and migraines change. And sure, it could be some fascial connections, uh, but did something change in the, in the way that those structures function and did the hormones change? The endocannabinoid system. So you know, that, that system, we think about things like CBD, uh, there's other cannabinoids, but that's the one that most people know about, but that's an important system for, uh, helping with managing inflammation in our bodies recently. And this, that last episode of the podcast, I'll talk a little bit about this, but recently learned that, um, when you are working with the fascia, you are having an effect on the endocannabinoid system. And so maybe we have an effect on the endocannabinoid system. And that's one way that we see inflammation go down the reproductive system because of what we just talked about. 
uh, we've seen fertility and, and uh, infertility uh, change because of that. Um, you know, maybe maybe a woman is uh, struggling with infertility because of mechanical restrictions. There's a study out. Um, it's an older study now, but um, that reported that up to potentially 70% of infertility issues have a mechanical component. Does that mean that they're all mechanical? No, there's multiple factors. Infertility is a, is a multifactorial issue. But is there adhesion from things like endometriosis, previous C-sections, previous, lap, previous laparoscopic surgeries, uh, you know, cysts, uh, painful periods over the past? And has that caused more inflammation? So those kinds of things can cause restrictions in those fascial components. And then those structures maybe don't function as well. A lot of times we see when we start to mobilize a, those structures, we start to improve the health and the function of those structures that they do function better. And oftentimes that leads to uh, improvements in fertility, the digestive system. We see this one a lot. So as the, as the food comes down the esophagus, it has to go through a sphincter. So like a little uh, gate that opens and closes, and then it has to go into the stomach. And then from the stomach, it goes through another gate and it goes into the small intestines. And throughout the small intestines, there's different little gate, gates called sphincters that open and close um, that have to let it through. And then it goes into the large intestines. And then as it goes through the large intestines, then it goes through and then it comes out. And so there's a lot of structures along the way that if those are restricted, may slow down digestion. And so maybe you aren't having bowel movements daily. Maybe you're having them once every couple of days or every three or four days. We've seen, we've seen people where when we start to improve the mobility of those structures, the frequency of those bowel movements increase. We've also seen it where uh, maybe there are uh, certain foods that after you eat them, there's more bloating. Uh, maybe you start to get an actual change in the size of your belly because of that bloating. A lot of times we find that comes back to that small intestines. There's a lot of vessels, a lot of lymphatic flow that goes through there. And if that's restricted and it, your body's not able to eliminate that, that uh, lymph fluid through that system, then we start to see bloating. Uh, but it could also be for other reasons. There's connections to uh, the large intestines and the liver. And now we're talking, now we're connecting to different systems through those structures. And is the liver maybe having an issue and that's affecting how the, the colon, the large intestines is functioning. And again, this is all working through those fascial structures, but as we see mobility change, a lot of the times we will see those other structures or those other um, functions change in those structures. A couple other systems that we've seen, the immune system, we know that 70, sometimes even 80%, I've seen it said, uh, of the immune system is found in the gut. A lot of that's through our gut bacteria and the diversity of that gut bacteria. Uh, when there's a gut issue or gut inflammation, whether it's because of a leaky gut, whether it's because of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, whether it's because of previous surgeries, C-sections, laparoscopy, uh, surgeries, um, whether it's because of traumas like uh, car accidents, seat belts, falls on the tailbone, things like that, we'll see potentially the immune system function um, affected. And maybe we can't connect those dots as well, but it would serve the reason that if 70 to 80% of your immune system is found in your gut, then we want our gut to be as healthy as possible. And that includes being able to move well.
And then the limbic system, so our emotions. We know that our emotions can be manifested in physical ways. This is as, can be as simple as when you have a gut reaction and you feel that lump in your um, your stomach or when your heart jumps because of something scary. Like those are visceral reactions to emotions, but those are physical that that can actually happen and there and our body's designed for that. However, emotions can become overwhelming at times in certain situations. Um, they cannot be processed as well for various reasons. And from an Eastern medicine standpoint, there's a view that those emotions can be stored within certain organs. Uh, a lot of times we'll find people just tense up through their fascia um, and they hold their stress in certain areas and that fascia tightens up. We've already talked about fascia and how it can affect different systems. And so, you know, the emotional component side of the physical pains that we feel a lot of times can be changed through the work that's done. And so, you know, are we being counselors and working through emotions and, and trauma, emotional trauma with people? No, but we are recognizing and helping them to connect the dots of, hey, you know, this, for example, the liver, it tends to be uh, anger and depression. You know, this instance, this situation that you have going on, it's very possible that that's causing the liver to, to tighten up in response to that. Because, you know, while we think about these physical structures having fascia and just kind of being these these isolated structures in reality they're not and they're they're very responsive to our nervous system and what's going on throughout our body and so then we start connecting dots of okay well the liver that's on the right side for the most part and that a lot of times affects the right shoulder so maybe your right shoulder issue is because of something going on with that anger that depression that's unresolved uh, and that's caused the delivered to tighten up and now led to the shoulders. So we have to look at all of that stuff. And so that, that kind of gets us into what I want to do is, is talk about it. A couple of case examples. Um, and these aren't specific cases. They could be, I mean, the, we've seen these over and over again, but um, what I want to do is just kind of walk you through, um, you know, how maybe some of this is plays out and it's related. So I just mentioned the shoulder and the liver connection. So we'll start, we'll start with, um, somebody that comes in with shoulder pain and let's say it's right shoulder pain. I'll, I'll connect some dots for the left as well, but let's say it's right shoulder pain. Maybe it's pain when they reach, it's an impingement uh, that they've had for, for years. When they come in, the questions we have to ask, why, why is that shoulder hurting? When did it start? What was going on around that time? Not just what type of injuries, what type of activities, but what was going on in life at that time. Right? So with the shoulder, if we take the musculoskeletal system, we know that we need to look at things like the shoulder joint itself, that ball and socket. We need to look at the muscles that affect that, the rotator cuff. We need to look at other joints that make up the shoulder girdle. So the AC joint where the collarbone and the shoulder blade come together. We need to look at the SC joint, which is where the collarbone and the sternum come together. We need to look at how the shoulder blade moves on the rib cage. And that, that's the shoulder girdle from a musculoskeletal standpoint. But from a musculoskeletal standpoint, we also need to consider things like how do the ribs move? How does the neck and the lower cervical spine move? How does the thoracic spine move? Those are all things that affect the shoulder. And then we need to look deeper and say, okay, well, we found some tightness in some of these places. What could be causing that tightness? 
So we look at the nervous system. As I go to lift my arm, one of the main nerves that comes down the arm is called the median nerve. Is that median nerve tight? There's a few areas that as the nerves come out of the neck that they have to pass through tissue and underneath tissue through tunnels. And if those structures are tight, that can affect how well those nerves are able to glide. Our bodies are designed in a way that they are going to protect what's most important to them. A nerve is more important than a muscle and more important than a joint. And so if my body knows, hey, when I go to lift my arm up, that's going to stretch and put tension through that nerve. And that nerve's not going to be able to come and stretch like it needs to. So we need to prevent that. So let's tighten up through these muscles. Let's tighten up at that joint to protect that. And so when that happens, now we've got the nervous system involved. The other aspect of the nervous system, we talked about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. When the fascia tightens up, the majority of the nerve endings in fascia are from the sympathetic nervous system. And so then what goes through my mind is, okay, is some of this tightness through the fascia causing the sympathetic nervous system to ramp up, which we know causes an increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, restriction of vessels. When you restrict vessels, you restrict blood flow to those tissues. When you have a prolonged period of restricted blood flow, you don't have good blood with oxygen coming in, taking out carbon dioxide and other byproducts out and getting rid of it. And that can cause soreness and pain in those muscles. Um, we know that likely that person doesn't have a good balance in their parasympathetic because they're, they're constantly tense. And so then do we need to start considering things to help them to relax and to tap into that parasympathetic, uh, from a circulatory standpoint at the shoulder, we're looking at things like the, what they call thoracic outlet. There's major arteries and vessels right underneath the, uh, the upper part of the, the chest that, uh, if, muscles get restricted in that area. They have the potential to uh, constrict those major arteries and your body is again, going to protect what's most important to it. Lymphatic system for the shoulder, the armpit area is a big area for drainage. We already talked about earlier that the base of the neck, the thoracic outlet inlet area, is a big area. So is there a lymphatic issue that is not draining well through there? And that's causing increase in inflammation and increase in, in tissue tightness and that's what led to that restricted shoulder. Um, the, the digestive system. Is there a visceral structure that maybe is playing into it? Is there, is there um, an irritable bowel situation? Is there constipation? Is there something that maybe is going on on the upper part of the small intestines called the duodenum? Because the duodenum has a ligament that it connects it to the liver. And we just talked earlier about how the liver can affect the right shoulder. Is there a liver issue? Is there something going on with the liver? Is there an increase in hormones for, for women that are maybe going through menopause and that liver is overloaded and it's not able to process through those hormones. And then that's led to that shoulder issue. Is there a, um, you know, is there uh, an issue like with, a how the liver goes through its detoxification processes. Um, and is that maybe leading to more stress and strain through the fascia from the liver that connects it up through the shoulder, up through the neck. So all those things have to be considered. The limbic system, you know, we talked about the, the 
uh, liver and anger and depression? Is there an event? Is there a situation where maybe that's at play and that's led to it? So all of these things have to be considered. And maybe we don't go to all of those right away, but they have to be in the back of our mind of these are all factors that can affect what's brought this person in. And they need to all be considered. And not everybody's going to need each of those systems worked through, but they need to be considered. One more example, pelvic pain. That's very broad because that can look like a lot of different things. But let's say, let's say um, left side pelvic pain. So we'll take the different side. So with left side pelvic pain, we start asking the question, why? Why is this going on? A man or a woman, right? And it doesn't have to be a woman. I mentioned in the shoulder, the hormones and menopause. All of that can go on in a man as well. Not the, um, not the necessarily the menopause part, but you know, the hormone, the change of hormones, we, we have hormones that um, affect us as well, obviously. And so that can be an issue as well. Uh, but back to the pelvic pain. So is that left-sided pelvic pain? When did that happen? When did it come on? What is, what's the pattern? Does it, is it constant pain? Does it hurt cyclically? Is it, is it just at certain times of the month that line up with certain um, you know, physiological processes like a menstrual cycle? Is it only when you are sitting? Is it when you're standing, you know, so we have to go through those things. And, and then we start asking musculoskeletal system. What's the anatomy in that area? Okay. Well, we've got some muscles in the pelvis. We've got the pelvic floor. We've got muscles right on the inside of the pelvis that become hip flexors. Okay. We've got the sacroiliac joints. We've got the lower lumbar spine that could affect that area. So, are any of these structures involved? And if so, are they playing into the pain they're feeling? But then we take it deeper. All right, let's say we find that that left SI joint, the sacroiliac joint is restricted. Now we have to ask the question, why is that joint restricted? Is it protecting something? Is it responding to something else? So then we look at nervous system. We know in the pelvis, there's a, a large bulk of the sympathetic nervous system based there. And so something going on in the pelvis could certainly cause a ramp up in the sympathetic, but something that causes a ramp up in the sympathetic would also have the potential to affect what happens in the pelvis. So let's say I've had a very stressful life. There's a lot of constant stress in my life. Is that something that has caused more tension in the pelvis, in the pelvic floor, in those pelvic structures? And then how do I address that? And, you know, sometimes that means we collaborate and often we do collaborate with other types of practitioners. Maybe that's somebody that needs to uh, talk with a uh, counselor. Maybe that's somebody that needs to consider doing things like uh, neurofeedback. Um, there's just, there's different options. And so you work with what's best for, for that particular patient. The circulatory system, a lot of major arteries and vessels that go through the pelvis. We talked about earlier how um, the major artery and, and vein come up through uh, the that groin area right underneath that ligament at the front of the hip. You know, is if there's tightness in the pelvis, is that causing a restriction of that fluid efficient fluid exchange? Um, and is that leading to the pain? Was that fluid exchange was that tightness there before the pain, and then eventually became the pain point because that had gone on long enough? The endocrine system, we talked about how the different uh, reproductive organs uh, 
produce hormones and the mobility of those being restricted have the potential to affect that. Is there a restriction in that left ovary? For a man, is there a restriction in the prostate and how the prostate is able to move? And because of those fascial connections, uh, is that led to um, the low back or the uh, pelvic pain? Was there a previous surgery, C-section, um, tubal ligation, vasectomy, um, you know, uh, abdominal surgery for endometriosis, uh, laparoscopic surgery for a gallbladder, um, you know, things like that. Those all have the potential to affect that area. The reproductive system, we talked about that earlier, same thing. You know, if there's a restriction in those structures, is that affecting the efficiency of how they function and how that system works? And and then in return, is that leading to the pain because of, say, a restricted ovary or a restricted prostate, uh, things like that? The immune system, this gets us back into the gut um, again, but also the nervous system, right? And the nervous system is a big part of our immune system as well. And so because of all the connections in the pelvis and the way that those uh, visceral structures affect the pelvis, is that is it a recent illness playing into that? We've, we've seen this. We've seen this often that after a major illness, so, you know, certain viral illnesses lately, um, we see a lot of changes in people, um, changes that seem odd, um, that affect a lot of different systems. And so we need to tease that out and, and understand that a little bit more. You know, with the visceral system, the other thing to think about is, is you know, we have all these abdominal structures, the small intestines, the large intestines, well, the, the pelvic floor is the foundation for those. So if there's an issue at the pelvic floor, that has the potential to affect what happens through the visceral structures and vice versa. A lot of the fascia, there's fascial connections as it comes down, or really, you know, comes from the neck, goes into the, so the chest goes through the rib cage, goes into the abdomen, and then comes into the pelvis and to the pelvic floor. And so there's, there's potential for the visceral structures to affect pelvic floor. So if you have digestive issues, that's a component we have to look at at times. The immune system and the, the limbic systems, you know, they can also be very much connected because of what we've talked about, how emotions can be stored uh, in certain organs and certain tissues. And so, you know, these are all things that we have to talk about. You know, it, everybody that comes in, we don't, we don't look at them as this is a, always a complex case, but a lot of times these are situations that come through our doors and these are things that we have to consider. Um, and so that's a systems-based approach in a PT world. And that's how it works out here um, at R3 Physio. And, and the great news is that everybody that we have treating here views you from that perspective when you come in for treatment. And so maybe we are just working on the muscles at the time, but rest assured, we are considering that there are multiple systems that have led to the point that you are, that we need to consider. And so if our goal is to not just get you the relief of the pain or the symptoms that you come, but also to help restore you back to health, to get you feeling as good as you can, then we need to consider those things. And ultimately, if our goal is to get you feeling better than you've ever felt, getting you back to the things that you've always wanted to do or do them better, then we really need to refine those processes and work through uh, all of that, because when it talk when we're when we're talking about getting you to feel your best, we're talking about we have to look at the little details sometimes of how your body's functioning efficiently. So, 
If, if you have questions about that, uh, you know, leave some comments, uh, reach out through, uh, to us um, and let us know. And in the future is to do uh, a few more episodes based off of this on how does this approach get applied to the athlete, the performing artist? Um, how do how does considering this type of approach affect how your body um, can detox and, and drain uh, itself of waste and toxins, the drainage uh, funnel, if, if anybody's familiar with that. Um, and then our plan is, is is to get into maybe a little bit more of the visceral work and how different organs might relate to different musculoskeletal regions. And so that way you can start to see the connections and connect the dots that uh, we oftentimes are connecting with patients.